Welcome again to our Wednesday Bible study. Now, in this video, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 17 and also chapter 18. I'm going to be commenting a few things on chapter 17 and then chapter 18 at the end of this video. I'm basically just going to be kind of reading through it. So if you want to uh, listen to me just reading through it, um, that's fine. You can just listen to that at the end of this video. Or if you want to read it uh, yourself and maybe your own translation or something like that, um, then you can do that. You know, you can stop the video at that point. It, it'll be uh, basically done. I'll just have the last part of this video be Exodus chapter 18. Okay, so up to this point, what we've seen, the last few chapters right before this one, uh, we saw that uh, all, of, uh, all of Israel came out of Egypt in the actual event called the Exodus, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, after they get through the Red Sea, though, if you remember, um, they needed some water. I mean, that makes sense. If you're going to be on a journey, of course you need water. They come across some water, but they can't drink it. Then the tree, uh, if you remember, uh, the tree, they uh, make that to where it falls over into the water, then they can drink the water. So then they get the water. But then it doesn't take them very long. You know, in the next chapter, they're already complaining. They don't have food. God gives them food in that case. So um, that's whenever he provides the manna and also the quail. So the last like couple of chapters, what we've seen is that whatever they need, God has been providing it. However, they keep being just they keep murmuring against God. That's one of the translations that uh, that kind of shows up a lot. They just are grumbling about it. They just they can't be satisfied with what God has given them. And we're going to see a little bit more of that even in this chapter, too. So let's continue on in this journey and let's see what we see in uh, this chapter. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. The whole community of the Israelites traveled on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the Lord's instruction, and they pitched camp in the Rephidim. Now there was no water for the people to drink, so the people contended with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people were very thirsty there for water, and they murmured against Moses and said, Why in the world did you bring us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Okay, so let's pause here. I know we, we're already seeing them complaining again like this. Uh, and I don't know if they honestly believe some of the things that they were saying or what. And I, I know that I kind of keep, keep coming back to that. But I mean, seriously, when I read these things and the statements that they make, I'm just wondering, is this really the same group of people that just you know saw the crossing of the Red Sea and saw all these miracles that God has provided for them time and time again and how he like just defeated Egypt and he conquered like this this big powerful nation so that his people could come out of this nation is this really the same group of people that whenever they're traveling on their journey they're just complaining they're like oh we're gonna die of, of thirst or something I mean don't get me wrong you need water and you need food I, I understand that but can't they trust in God at this point but I guess, you know, really, if they were to look at our lives, they could say the same thing, couldn't they? I mean, shouldn't we be able to trust God? You know, right now, how many of us have had, have had our own questions the past few months about, you know, God, what, what are you doing in all this? You know, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, how are you going to provide for me here? Well, I, I think it's kind of similar to this. That, that's one of the reasons why I wanted us to take a look at the book of Exodus, because we see God's mighty hand at work and the God that they serve or I guess you might even say the God that they were supposed to be serving, 
is the same God that we serve. He, he hasn't changed. So here we see that, you know, they're, they're complaining and they're grumbling and everything. We see that it says that they are contending with Moses. Now, is it wrong that they were wanting something to drink? No. What's wrong was their attitude about it. You know, whenever you kind of look at how it's mentioned here, it's not wrong for them to even go to Moses and talk to Moses. That's not what's wrong. It's not even wrong for them to go to the Lord and talk to the Lord. But what is wrong is the way that they are doing it. And I think we need to learn something about that. Because um, one thing that's going to be kind of mentioned here, and, and perhaps I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself on this one, but this is kind of known as they were testing the Lord. Well, when you look at this, you know, why do you test the Lord? I guess it does actually already show up here in verse 2, so maybe it's not too much ahead of myself. Why do you test the Lord? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to prove the Lord. Uh, you know, in, in, in what he's doing, but actually the way that they're doing it here, they're, they're going just beyond this confirmation that the Lord is with them. Uh, now they are actually kind of uh, setting themselves on an opposing side as the Lord. Now that's wrong. Now just asking God, what is he doing and, you know, what's he going to do? That's not really wrong because we see so many faithful people doing that, you know, time and time again, we, we see that. So there's different ways of of understanding what it means to test the Lord. And, and just because you might use a certain phrase here or there, we need to understand really what's behind that phrase. Because these Israelites, it wasn't really wrong that they were questioning what God was doing. What was wrong is the way they were questioning what God is doing. Um, you know, you probably kind of, I guess one thing comes to my mind, uh, you've probably experienced this with, you know, your own children. Um, your own kids might ask you questions. I know that mine do. They ask me about, well, well, why do I have to do that? Or why do, you know, why are you telling me to do this? You know, they have their questions. They're trying to figure it out. And that's not wrong. But what is wrong is whenever I tell them that, look, you need to do this, and they might not understand why. I'm not asking them to necessarily understand why I'm telling them to do this or to not do this thing. I'm just telling them to do this or to not do it. So they just need to listen to me. That's in many ways the same type of thing that it is with us and God. You know, it's not wrong for us to have our questions and to ask God even from time to time. But what is wrong is maybe how we do that. And if we go about it in a negative way, and they most certainly were going about it in a negative way. You see that um, several uh, mentions here within the text that they are fighting against Moses. They're fighting against God. Everything is just going uh, against him. So now let's see uh, what's going to happen here. Verses four through seven. Spoiler alert. Uh, God is going to provide. He always does, doesn't he? Verses four through seven. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what will I do with this people? A little more and they will stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go over before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in plain view of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Mesa and Meribah because of the contending of the Israelites and because of their testing the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Okay, so I'm not going to try to mention too much more about you know, testing Lord, questioning Lord, I think I've already gone enough into that. And I think that you all um, understand the difference, understand that there is a right way and a wrong way to go about that. But here we see the Lord is providing. 
And he does so in a weird way. Let's be honest, though. Doesn't God oftentimes kind of provide in weird ways anyways? I mean, at least I think that he does. I mean, he, he does some weird miracles from time to time. So this one, he uh, there, there's several questions that we might um, ask ourselves whenever we start looking at the text. I mean, you, you know, you look at this. Why is he going to bring water from a rock? Why does he do it in this place at, you know, Mount Horeb? And also, why is he striking the rock? Um, a little bit later, we're going to see a time whenever he's not supposed to strike the rock. Well, this time he's striking the rock. Okay, so he's not supposed to strike the rock then, but he is supposed to strike the rock now. What, what's with that? You know, so we see all of these different things. But here's some of the answers. Let, let me remind you of some of these things, okay? One of them is uh, we see here, uh, why water from the rock? Well, one of the things that the water from the rock definitely shows is um, that's not natural. It's a very impossible thing. You know, you talk about a, a rock in the wilderness, like it's a it's a wilderness area. There's a rock and the water comes from it. This doesn't normally happen. It, it's not the way it's supposed to happen. It's an impossible thing, but it is a miracle of God. God is performing another miracle. He's done so many times in this passage, uh, in, in this book so far. Now, the location is important. Though. In verse six, it says that uh, there's this rock in Horeb. Why is that important? OK, um, Horeb is actually where God revealed himself to Moses. And one of the things that he said to Moses was way back when um, chapters uh, three, uh, around chapters three and four, he said that the sign that's going to happen is that Moses is going to lead the Israelites back to that location. Guess what? They're here. This is a fulfillment of what God himself said was going to happen. Okay, so all these things, uh, let me see if I'm kind of missing something. Oh yeah, another thing, uh, striking the rock. Let's look at those details here, okay? When you look at verse five, um, he tells them to, to take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Okay, so he's got that staff. Now this staff is also gonna show up in the uh, later on in this chapter in the next story that we're gonna come to. And there it's actually gonna be called the staff of God. Kind of interesting. Um, but this staff is this, this wonderful image of really God's presence. And we've seen this time and, and time again because, you know, this is the staff that Moses has had with him. You know, Moses and Aaron have both been with this staff and had this staff. This is what they uh, first did, you know, turned it into snakes. And then this is also the staff that they had at the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, I missed one, obviously. It's whenever uh, they were uh, striking the Nile. Uh, remember that first plague, the first miracle that, that happened there was he struck with his staff, he struck the Nile, and it turned to water. Guess what? He is striking a stone this time, and now he's getting water um, from this rock. So it's, it's kind of this interesting thing, but you can also see this, this symbolism here, because you see this staff uh, that is being used. That's the presence of God, and you see this connection here about striking, and, and they've been familiar with this because it's part of the story that they've just lived. So all of these kind of strange details to us, when you start looking at them, I guess they do make a little bit more sense than what you would at first think. Um, you, you might not necessarily like some of those explanations. And I mean, that's okay. It's just kind of, this is just the story that we have. This is how God chose to work in this occasion. Uh, I'm not pretending to understand all the ways of God and to explain everything as to why he did it, but I'm just kind of giving you a few things that you know can maybe help um, you just understand why he did some of the stuff that he did or, or uh, some of the symbolism uh, behind those things. And the last phrase that we see here is this question, is the Lord among us or not? You know, that's what they were saying. 
And maybe right now, uh, that's been a question that you've had. You know, I mean, let, let's let's kind of bring this into today also, and let, let's combine it. Let's recognize these stories are supposed to teach us. Uh, they're supposed to show us things. And we might be having our own questions. And remember what I said before. It's not necessarily wrong that you might ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? But you know, there's different ways of asking that same question. And there are some ways of asking that question that it is okay. You genuinely are just asking God. You know, you're, you're trying to understand what he's doing and what you're supposed to be doing in the world. But then there's another way of asking that same question. That other way of asking that same question is one that is not pleasing to God. It's doubting of God and of his ability. So is the Lord among us or not? The Lord is always among us. And the Lord is still among us today. Uh, even if you might not understand how he's going to provide for us in the future or how he's even going to provide for us in the current situation, whatever that current situation, you know, might be. Obviously, if you're watching it, you know, uh, real time, whenever it's supposed to be put out here on uh, November the 4th of 2020, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. But if you're watching this video later, then who knows what might be going on in your life right now? I mean, I, I don't know. I can't really tell the future. But we can see that God is still in control of things. And even though it might not make sense, I mean, how many of us would have been able to tell, okay, yeah, God's going to provide water from a rock in the wilderness. It's kind of a weird thing. But God does some things like that that don't always make sense to us. But he provides uh, for his people. And he's providing for his people here in this chapter. And he provides for us too. Okay, so if this story wasn't weird enough, we got... One more story that's, I mean, I guess just me personally, at least, I think it's even stranger than this one. But let's take a look at it together. Exodus chapter 17, uh, we're going to look at this verses 8 through 13 here. Amalek came and attacked Israel in Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought against Amalek, just as Moses had instructed him. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went out under the top of the hill. Whenever Moses would raise his hands, then Israel prevailed. But whenever he would rest his hands, then Amalek prevailed. When the hands of Moses became heavy, they took a stone and put it under him. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side and one on the other. And so his hands were steady until the sun went down. So Joshua destroyed Amalek and his army with a sword. Okay, like I said, the next story that we're looking at, to me, it's even stranger. Okay, this is kind of a weird story, but yet it's also kind of a cool story. It's If, if you like the, the battles that are um, fought in the scriptures, um, this is one of those that's very interesting. Okay, so basically the, the simple image of what's going on here. Israel is going to be up against the, uh, uh, the Amalek or Amalekites here. And what we see in verse 9 is that Moses is to take the staff of God in his hand. See, this is very important that it says staff of God because we see that this staff, what it represents. It, it's more than just a shepherd's staff. Now, it is that. I mean, I think it most certainly is because that's what he was doing originally, right? He was a shepherd of sheep. He was shepherding the flock whenever God called him. So he's got that shepherd staff. So yeah, it's part of that. 
but it's gone beyond that. Now this shepherd's staff is really the staff of God, and it shows the might of God and how God is with his people. So this is going to be this image of success. So Moses raises up his hand with that staff in it. So he's raising up the other hand, and he's raising up the, the one with the staff. And whenever he raises it up, now he's on top of the hill, so it's like everybody around is seeing this image here with the staff being raised up. And that is the image that God is with us. God is the one that is fighting the battle. That's very important. And whenever he raised it up and kept his hands raised up, then they were prevailing. Uh, but whenever he would start lowering his hands, then the other side, the Amalek, Amalek would prevail. Obviously, you can't have that. So they, they did all these things. They were propping up his hands. They, they just, they did all these things. It's kind of interesting, but all of this was to show God is the one that's fighting the battle. It's not them. So I guess if you want to sort of look at it this way, we see two different Im images being used. Whenever Moses has his hands raised up and he's got that staff in his hand, that's whenever God is doing the fighting. But whenever the staff is down, then so to speak, that's whenever they are doing their own fighting. Whenever we try to fight our own battles, we're going to lose. It just doesn't work. But whenever God is the one who's actually fighting our battles, then we see the success in these things. Or to kind of put it into a little bit, if you if you want to go uh, combine into the, the New Testament a little bit, you know, our battle, this war that, that we are a part of, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual forces. And God is the one who's really fighting through us. Um, now, you find that in... in um, in the uh, the full armor of God passage, whenever Paul is talking about how you need to have the full armor of God. Um, but here, in, in this passage, what we see is the staff of God is in the hand of Moses, and they prevail whenever God is in their midst and whenever God is fighting their battles. And I want us to look at the last few verses of this chapter, because I believe this is important. This is a really cool thing also. Verses 14 through 16 now. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and rehearse it with Joshua's hearing. For I will surely wipe out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. For he said, for a hand was lifted up to the throne of the Lord, that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now I know some of these things are you know a little bit confusing, but basically... Uh, we're not going to get all that much into uh, Amalek and all, all, all this, but just know that would be an enemy um, who is opposed to God and most certainly opposed to God's people. Um, but here, if you're wanting to know this, I've shared this with you before, uh, maybe a couple different times even. But this is the first time that writing the Bible is actually mentioned in the Bible. And I think this is wonderful. Like the very first time that I remember uh, someone pointing this out to me. Uh, it was actually the the guy named as um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. If if, uh, if you know that, I oftentimes use their videos and stuff. Well, he's the first one that really shared this with me. I, I don't know why I never really caught on to this. I love hearing about the history of the Bible and studying more and more about the history of the Bible. You know how it came to be uh, in English, but also even more than that, just like how it was written and then you know kept on um, through generations. It's just amazing to me. Very fascinating. But this is the very first time that we actually read about the Bible being written. And I know it kind of seems a little strange, but keep in mind Moses is the one who, who wrote down these first few uh, books of the Bible. And right here, 
the Lord is the one that speaks to him and says, write this as a memorial in the book and rehearse it in Joshua's hearing. Okay, so we also get a little bit of a reason as to why the Bible is supposed to be written, why this event was supposed to be recorded. The Lord says to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book. Okay, so he's supposed to write it down. He's also supposed to rehearse it. So the story of God is one, you know, the word of God is one that is something that we should be rehearsing, so to speak. It's something that we should be sharing with people around us. It's something that we need to be writing down. It's already been written down for us now, of course. But, you know, the word of God, it's written down so that we will remember it, so that we will have that book and be able to share that book, not just with the current generation, but with the next generation. And now we see, you know, you probably even have, have multiple Bibles in, around your house that show this story of God and what he's done in times past. So this is really kind of an amazing thing and, and so many things in this chapter that, yeah, it's a couple of weird stories, but they both show that God is the one who is fighting for them. God is the one who's providing for them. God is the one who is doing everything for them. They just need to be willing to follow him. Is the Lord among us or not? I would say the Lord was always among them and the Lord will always be among us as well. I also want to share one more thing, kind of going back just a little bit to that uh, rock in the wilderness here. The Exodus chapter 17, it's mentioned a few different times um, or some of these events, you know, they're, they're mentioned in the New Testament. And I want to share just this, this one passage here. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And when you look at verses 1 through 6, you kind of sort of get a little bit of a summary of this story as we've been looking at it for the past few weeks. But 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul, he says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were cut down in the wilderness. These things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did. So right here now, the, the Apostle Paul, he kind of tells us some of the reasons as to why. You know, like the last thing we talked about is, you know, why is the Bible written? Written for a memorial. It's written to, to remind us of these things. Well, Paul remembers these things. And he shares these things and he says, look, they're examples for us. We need to learn from them. And that's why we have been for the past few weeks going through the book of, of Exodus and learning uh, from them, seeing these examples, the good and the bad examples, and just seeing that what should we learn from it? You know, we definitely see that God is in their midst, and God is also among us. God that we worship, he's the same God that they were worshiping. He's just as powerful today as he was then. He can do mighty things. He can do great things. We see that time and time again in the scriptures. We can put all of our faith in him. And guess what? Living in the New Testament, we even get the rest of the story. We find out about Jesus Christ. And, and there's a connection here about this, this rock, that they drank from that rock. That rock was Christ. So in a sense, Christ was the one that bring them salvation and deliverance through the wilderness. And guess what? Christ is the one who most certainly provides us with this living water. He provides us with deliverance. He provides us with salvation.
I'm now going to read through Exodus chapter 18, the entire chapter. And I no longer have that little image of me on the screen, so just in case you're kind of looking for that, it's not going to be in the next few slides. I'm just going to read this text. If you want to stop the video here and read it in your own Bible, you're welcome to do so. But I just wanted to include it in this video as well. So Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard about all that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her back, and her two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, for Moses had said, I have been a foreigner in the foreign land, and the other, Eleazar, for Moses had said, The God of my father has been my help and deliverance, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and his wife, came to Moses in the wilderness where he was camping by the mountain of God. He said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you, along with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They each asked about the other's welfare, and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to Egypt for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come on them along the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced because of all the good that the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered from the hand of Egypt. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the hand of Egypt, and from the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from the Egyptians' control. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the thing in which they dealt proudly against them, he has destroyed them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to eat food with the father-in-law of Moses before God. On the next day, Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why are you sitting by yourself and all the people standing around from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I decide between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the decrees of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out, both you and these people who are with you, for this is too heavy of a burden for you. You are not able to do it by yourself. Now listen to me. I will give you advice, and may God be with you. You be a representative for the people to God, and you bring their disputes to God. Warn them of the statutes and the law, and make known to them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. But you choose from the people capable men. God-fearing, men of truth, those who hate bribes and put them over the people as rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. They will judge the people under normal circumstances, and every difficult case they will bring to you, but every small case they themselves will judge, so that you may make it easier for yourself, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so command, commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he had said. Moses chose capable men from all Israel, and he made them heads of the people 
rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. They judged the people under normal circumstances, the difficult cases they would bring to Moses, but every small case they would judge themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law out on his way, and so Jethro went to his own land.